Hello and welcome to the Women in Safety podcast, a place of conversations to empower and inspire you to transform your career. I'm your host, Alana Ball, and we're here today to cut through some of the BS of health and safety. I want to be real, authentic, and most of all, think critically about what we learn, what we hear, and how we experience things in our journey. I want you to take this time for yourself. Reconnect with your passion, reconnect with your career, and join us as we grow together. So settle in and see where this episode transforms you. Welcome back to the Women in Safety podcast. I'm joined today by the wonderful Amy Douglas. Now, if you haven't heard about Amy Douglas, you're sure about to, and I'm super excited to have this conversation because Amy actually comes from a um, clinical psychologist background, working in Department of Mines uh, for Western Australia as an inspector in mental health and wellbeing. She's now gone out on her own and we're here to talk about her journey and some of the challenges and some of the exciting things. Welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I think from the from the moment we jumped on a Zoom together, what, a week ago, uh, I've been excited to have this conversation because I think it's super relevant to kind of the health and safety industry as we know it at the moment. And, you know, from a background perspective, as I said, you come from a clinical psychology background to now working for yourself. So talk us through that adventure, Amy. Yeah, so... I guess in terms of safety, how did I end up in safety? So the seed of safety was planted well before I was conscious of it. And it was probably before I even turned 10. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And that it was planted by my dad. And he was a submariner in the Navy. And um, with his sort of Irish, Scottish background was love nothing more than to tell a story. And so... <laughs> So the whole of my childhood was listening to his stories and they were often about this amazing career that he had as a submariner. Mm. So you can imagine that the content that he's got from that career is amazing, obviously. Mm. <laughs> movie worthy, we've all, you know, there's plenty of military movies out there which are really exciting. So as a kid, I'd listen to these stories mm. about um, the amazing adventures that he'd gone on. And inevitably, there would always be some stories of really close calls and mm-hmm. um, awful disasters mm. and the history of how those disasters came to happen and then inevitably he'd give me some of the stories around why um how they fixed it mm. and, and as a kid I'm thinking that's amazing and wow isn't it crazy like I'd hate if you went to work and things didn't work out for you like I want you to come home all the time mm. and so that's in my mind in retrospect that was when the seed of safety first was planted and I wasn't calling it safety but just like this curiosity about people at work and how they behave at work and how it seems completely unfair for us to be kind of expected to work and earn money but if you were to go to a place that wasn't safe safe that just doesn't seem just didn't mm. seem right to me so that was when it was first planted and then as I got up and sort of started to get jobs myself the whole clinical psychology and safety thing happened in parallel to be honest yeah right yeah, so I'd gone to study psychology undergraduate and while I was doing that, ended up doing some part-time work for a sheltered um, workplace where the workplace employed diverse people with different um, abilities. Mm. And so when I went there as a psychologist to train people how to do their job, what they were actually making was safety equipment, loads of PPE. Yeah, right. And that was my first obvious connection to safety. It's like, oh, this is really interesting. Mm. From that point onwards, I'd gone on to do work as a psychologist in 
counseling, drug and alcohol rehab, and then also vocational rehabilitation. And it's probably a really common story for people that work in vocational rehab that you see everyone who's been injured at work and you Mm -mm. think, couldn't this have been prevented? Mm. (laughs) The question that I asked. So probably at that point there when I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing this rehabilitation, I'm doing clinical work to help people recover from psychological injuries that they've had at work. Mm. And I can see all the reasons in that workplace why this happened. Yeah, right. And how can we how can we change that? So from that job there, I kind of started to dig deeper into the more preventative, specific safety stuff. And mm. I went to work for a company that that was their primary goal was safety. And it was safety psychology. Mm. That was when I kind of got all the excitement, being around other people that did the same thing and really applying psychology to safety. Mm. I think it was about five, five or six years there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. From then, I went on to do more specific safety work. So always in the background doing some clinical work, but also always doing the safety work as well, because I was at some point thinking, oh, you know, I like both and they both kind of complement each other because I do this clinical work and really understand people and their behavior and the way that they think. And then I can apply that directly when I do my safety consulting because I'm trying to get people to understand this work from a human perspective and figure out, well, how do you design something so that it's good for people? Mm. Kind of looking at the systems from the safety and then also remembering regularly about how this impacts people on an individual level. So I kind of had the two in parallel there for forever. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, it's super fascinating because it's interesting I still get so fascinated. I don't think there has been anyone on the podcast to date that has had the same journey, just a black and white walk down the path, attend, you know, dare I say like accountants, like I feel like it's a black and white, like you either do it or you don't do it, whereas I feel like there's so many avenues and so many reasons why people get into health and safety and yours is a classic example of, you know, you've had the personal story from when you're younger, like tried applied you know let's see what this looks like and then you know I've, I've seen similar kind of backgrounds from occupational therapists that you know OTs got sick of treating those that were injured at work that oh, I could prevent this so yeah super fascinating yeah. so you were working with Department of Mines in Western Australia as an inspector for quite a number of years yeah it was probably before this whole psychosocial risk piece become became um, excitable, I'll use the word. Uh, what did that look like for you in that role? You know, yeah. I, I guess it has that very litigious side to it. Uh, how do you make that? How did you, I guess, make that connection with people and the work that you do from a psychology perspective to now, I guess, applying a very legislative framework to that? Yes, it was really exciting. So that was, so the Department of Mines, Industry, Regulation and Safety is what it's called now. Back then, the company that I joined was the Department of um, Mines and Petroleum. So it was DMP back then, but DEMERS now. It transitioned while I was there. So when I was employed, it was to be the first special inspector of mines, mental health and well-being. Um, And so I went along and it was specific to mining. Mm. Um, And the little side note there is that the work safe side of things who they eventually combined with mm. they'd all already have some um some little 
um, a, a small team that was looking at ergonomics and they would they would have been starting to look at this stuff for a bit longer, but it wasn't really high profile. Yeah, yeah. Also, when mining does it in WA, very high profile. Mm. So I've gone, gone along there to do that first inspector role. And you're right, it was <laughs> it was hilarious and amazing and very frustrating. So <laughs> what three words do, did you d- just describe? Like I, please elaborate, Amy. <laughs> yeah. So I always try to look for the fun side of it when I'm doing this safety stuff, because it just has to be, but kind of watching yourself in your mind's eye going into this workplace of all these inspectors. I forget how many of them there were, you know, there's like in the tens and up maybe up to a hundred or something mining inspectors. And they've all, they're all kind of doing occupational health and safety more traditionally mm. and, and also doing the engineering side of things, which is, of course, absolutely essential. Mm. And then they're kind of like, who are you? <laughs> what are you going to bring along with psychology? What? what? <laughs> and so the role really was to kind of educate industry on what needs to be done differently to make work safe for people. And also to start to educate the other inspectors, because if I was ever going to have any success, I really needed my inspector colleagues to be on board with me well you can't be just one one in the pool of that's going to make a difference right like if you can influence them slightly you'll have bigger change so 100 percent. because i've never been an inspector before so it's like i know how to do psychology i know what i know what you know from the science perspective what should be happening around here and i can see a strategy but i don't know how to be an inspector and i need you to teach me how to do that so that i can apply this science to the way that we facilitate from an inspector perspective Mm. yeah how fascinating yeah so that it was you know and I guess the inspectorate eventually um same as with industry you know it was reflected with industry there was always going to be some people who were early adopters um, and a whole bunch of people who were pretty reluctant and just didn't see the point at all mm. um, and that was similar with the inspectorate you know there was there was a healthy skepticism um, and some people a little less a little more reluctant than others um, and some people who were really keen and mm. so trying to figure out how you can leverage the interest and the people who are really willing to help so that you can kind of grow people's confidence in what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think that after, after, not, after not a huge length of time, the inspectorate were absolutely amazing and they totally supported me in what I was doing. Mm. And, and then it kind of spreads the, spreads the love and they can go out and promote what I was trying to promote. So it's not just one person, but the whole, the whole inspectorate as well. So yeah, they, yeah. supported me, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. And the last 12 months has been with Douglas Human Factors, your own business. What's the last 12 months look like then as a transition into kind of consulting in this space? Yes. So it's been really exciting in that all of the – I loved working for the regulator and there's limitations to what you can do when you work for them. So the regulator can't can do a lot of spend a lot of time educating, but we can't necessarily be prescriptive or give you the exact solution to your exact problem. Mm. And while you might be doing that job and you can kind of see what would really help somebody, you can't always give that information. Yeah, right. It's not your role. And you can give a lot of education and a lot of guidance, but you can't be as specific as you'd like to be. Mm. There's a little bit of frustration there. So now being on my own, I can do that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. The most exciting thing is like, oh, now you can tell me your whole issue. You don't have to hold back or hide anything from me. That you yeah, can- yeah, I'm here. To, I'm here to help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. genuinely always was here to help. But I got it that being the regulator sometimes understandably put barriers in the way of people sharing. So yeah. from the 
from my satisfaction perspective and hopefully how helpful people find me now is that I can do all the education and then I can um, really get down into the nitty gritty about the particular issue that you've got yeah. and everything I think about it. <laughs> yeah, that's really awesome. And so what have been, I guess, some of those really big challenges? What are the key challenges across your whole career? But I guess, you know, in this health and safety kind of uh human performance side of the world what are some of those challenges been for you yes um yeah thinking about back across the whole thing I suppose in the workplace and psychology in safety it's always been a little bit of a a new a new topic or a little bit different or seen as maybe a nice to have or an extra and so that's always been a little bit of a challenge to get people to listen to what you've got to say mm. and explain to them how this is, you know, doable and, mm. and what it means to people and what they can get out of it from a terms of psychosocial safety perspective. So getting people to listen or be interested is probably the overarching challenge that there has always been. Mm. And I can sort of remember like a long time ago when I was first doing consulting for companies like over, over like 15 years ago or something, trying really hard to get people's attention on the construction site. I mean, like, come on, guys, this is really psychosocial safety is really important and I want to talk about it. Yeah. And, then, and then trying really hard and persisting and con like constantly asking for people's attention. Mm. And then one day going back to my donger and having a knock, knock, knock on my door, opening it. And it was um, one of the um, construction managers and he's going, all right, then you can talk at my pre-start tomorrow morning. I was like, oh, yeah, brilliant. Okay, excellent. I'll be there. I'll be there. What time? <laughs> It's that usual time, like 4, 4, 3, 5 a.m. in the Pilbara somewhere. It's like, all right, yeah. done, done. Yeah. And how long have I got? And he's like, I'll give you five minutes. <laughs> so I've, you know, thought thought about how I'm going to go and do it, only to turn up at the pre-start in the morning. Um, there's like 300 people in a field. Yeah. It's like, oh, word. Okay, so, Amy, you wanted the attention? Now you've got it. Um, what do you <laughs> do? So yeah. it's that kind of the challenge of going, you want the attention, now you've got it. And once people give it to you, once you've they've given you the chance, you better have something really good to say. Yeah, yeah. And making sure that you're really clear all the time on what that's going to be. So that's one side of the challenges, as opposed to... Do you know, Amy, I think that's super relevant for our listeners as well, regardless whether it's a psychosocial or not, that whether it's the executive buy-in, whether it's the worker buy-in, no matter who we're working with, I think that's such a valuable lesson for us to take away is that if you've asked for the attention and you then got the attention, make what comes out of your mouth next super worthwhile. And I think I just I, I just want to, I guess, highlight that because I think for our listeners, that's such a little golden nugget of yours to share that, um, yeah, so, so powerful and completely agree. Yeah, you've got to have something where you're saying, and not to put too much pressure on yourself. Like, you've got this one chance and you'll never get another one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I totally agree with you. you got, when you get the chance, you better be ready. Mm. Um, better be ready to say something. And it better be in line with what you think these people need to hear. Mm, meaningful, it's, yeah. It's not, it's and not. that's, there's that, um, you know, the concept of noise and that there is so much noise going around. And it's like, if you've got that attention, whether for a minute or five minutes in your case, make that five minutes absolutely as valuable because there's a lot of noise for every individual, you know, around the world with everything that's going on. What is that meaningful five minutes look like? 
Yes. Yeah. And that's a skill that I think I'll be practicing forever is to figure yeah. out what time I've been given and the audience that I've got, what's the best thing that needs to be said now that they need to hear. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I get to say all the things that I want to talk about because I'm interested in it. It just has to be what what would be useful for these people now. They're about to go to work and mm. it's not an easy environment to work in. What are you going to do for them? Mm. So, yeah, getting the attention is a big challenge. Then living, then, then living up to it once you get it. Um, and I suppose in terms of the regulator stuff that I did, everything really, but I guess the regulators – you know, people are kind of familiar with that as a workplace. Um, the challenge of getting people to understand that when it comes to psychosocial health and safety, you can transfer your safety knowledge to psychosocial health and safety. And the one piece of that that I always want people to remember they can transfer is that um, you can be just as rigorous with your controls for psychosocial safety as you can for any other type of safety. So a lot of my time is spent for the regulator and now and before then sort of saying, think about prevention, mm. you know, because when it comes to psychosocial health and safety and mental health, often it, it's it's changing. It's changing slowly, but surely, but people are often still focused on intervention and recovery. So when something has gone wrong and people aren't doing well, we've got a brilliant EAP service mm -hmm. and They've got fantastic paramedics and all of those things are really important. You've got to have them, but trying to get people to say, yeah, you've got that mitigation control in place. Now talk to me a little bit more about your prevention controls. Mm. Even sometimes when people will say they've got kind of mental health policies, the thing with a lot of them or bullying policies, the thing with those, they only get used when someone's already been exposed to the hazard. Mm. Typically in that bullying policy, it'll say if you've yeah, been brought out because it's like, oh, yeah, what do I do now? Yeah. Yeah. So true. You know? And so that message that I'm constantly trying to share with people is apply what you would do for, for your OSH safety, you know, yeah. your physical safety to this as well, because you just wouldn't accept it if people were looking at only intervention for that stuff. You know, it's like sort of what are you doing about your people working on the scaffolding? Oh, we've got a really fast ambulance. It's like, oh, you just would never let that. Mm, and I've got a really good policy about it. Yeah. You just would yeah. never let Right, at all. Mm. So that's one of the challenges, getting people to think about prevention. And I think I think the barrier often, understandably, is that we think that people are very unpredictable. Mm. <laughs> that we couldn't possibly stop people from, from bullying each other or harassing each other mm. and we couldn't possibly lower people's stress because everyone's completely different. And it's just not true. You know? Mm. There's enough science out there that tells us there's a whole bunch of things that you can do for your environment and your system that will reduce the likelihood of people being exposed to hazards, including psychosocial hazards at work. Mm. And, and it's our responsibility to figure out what they are. Um, and from a time perspective, if you can invest in the prevention, it's so much easier than having to intervene when something's gone wrong. Mm. Yeah, wow. It's so cool because I think – you know, a lot of our listeners are obviously a, um, I don't want to call them a, a standard safety professional, but don't come from that psychology background. And I know within the women in safety community, one of the things we talk about is, you know, how are we all implementing this psychosocial risk piece? Because, you know, we're on a learning curve with this as well. So we're trying to coach and educate our organisations, but what are we doing to upskill ourselves to really understand that level of what are the prevention method methods out there? You know, we would go down and read every Australian standard on, let's talk about the scaffolding example, 
you know, we'd make sure we understood that scaffolding and what was required of that to educate and impart that knowledge to our workforce or, you know, mobile plant, whatever it might be. Uh, what are we doing to make sure that we understand that preventative kind of piece in the psychosocial risk? Because I think, yeah, there's, there's going to be some strengths and some challenges for health and safety professionals along the way. But I think that preventative lens is going to be super powerful for people. Yeah, take that preventative lens. And it's, I guess, using your that sort of strong anchor point of risk management model, which often is written in, a, is drawn in a circle, mm. isn't it? I'm often in a circle. And so remembering, if I use that as my anchor point as a safety person, that circle is very representative that this is a dynamic process. And so I do want to do prevention. And I recognise that to be able to do prevention better and better, it requires me to keep on reviewing what's happening. Mm, yeah. Educating myself a little bit and talking to the right people. Um, but if you start somewhere then you can, you know, just follow that circle. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. exactly like I work with a couple of clients um, in my business and, you know, one of the big things that I've been saying is, hey, it's the same risk management approach. We're just applying a different lens to it. Like let's, again, it's that noise of, oh, my God, we've got to do this and I don't know how to do this and it's new and it's shiny and it's, you know, oh, there's everything in the regulator and it's like stop. It is literally applying the same model, which you do effectively. Let's just put this lens to it. And they're like, oh, right, okay, let's roll. Um, So talk me through a number of our listeners, as I said, are really uh, there's a lot of talk about um, particularly I find women being in that caregiver a lot of the time that uh, feminine energy tends to lead towards this kind of mental health space, really nurturing, caring for people and and how they feel. So I've seen a lot of the women in safety members really leaning towards, I love it. I want to specialise in it. I want to really focus my skills. You know, they might have been really focused down, you know, human factors in the past or ergonomic, like a whole heap of different things. I've seen this real, uh, I guess, interest in kind of specialising down this mental health, psychosocial risk piece. What would be your advice to someone who wants to kind of specialise down that? What would you want them to know from the psychology background that you've got and all of the, you know, time in the inspectorate and working with organisations who, you know, have maybe had this, not had this? What's your advice to those people in their careers? Yeah. So if you're coming from that more traditional safety perspective and thinking that you want to branch out to that or specialize then I would say first of all remember that what you've already done is amazing foundation Mm. to do do whatever kind of safety that you want so remembering that one um and then sort of looking to yourself if there's a particular side of the safety that you've already got expertise in then I wonder if you can focus on that area of work or that kind of environment that you're very familiar with and start to augment that knowledge with a little bit of the psychosocial as you go along. Mm. That you're, you've got your, you know, you've got your great reputation and your competence and you're just starting to augment it a little bit with the psychosocial. And that might be looking at the jobs that you normally risk assess and say, okay, how does psychosocial impact on this? Mm adding an additional question in there so you might have done the whole thing that you normally do and you might go how does psychosocial impact on this how does the way that you know we're setting up this system going to impact on people's performance what can we do here mm. 
ask that question. And then in terms of these small steps, when you're doing your all important consultation, again, going back to that risk management model and the essential communication and consultation, when you do it, make sure that you start adding questions in there that says, um, is there anything about this job that's doing your head in? Mm, mm. You start as simple as that. So you know how the job is meant to go. Is there anything about it that's making it harder than it should be? Mm. Do you see any solutions to this that is just, this is completely inefficient and it's stressing you out? And you start to have those questions and you'll start to get the answers from people about what the psychosocial risk factors are that they're experiencing. So whether they start to tell you that um, the job design is rubbish <laughs> or yeah. the leadership on this job, there's just none. Mm. Um, or they, there's such a lack of role clarity that people are all stepping on each other's toes and we don't know whether they're coming or going. Mm. Um, and the work interface is a mess because the role clarity is not there. Mm. From a very small but very impactful perspective to safety professionals, I'd say please start to ask those questions when you do your consultation. Mm. And that's going to start to give you this huge wealth of information that you can go, wow, that's really interesting. How can I help with this? And that's yeah. going to be guiding light about where shall I start to investigate what shall I start to learn about because from I don't know about other people but from my perspective and I'm guessing from a safety professional because you know you're practical people you want to learn stuff that's immediately applicable yeah. so if you start with that consultation find out what's doing people's head in and then you start to go and investigate the answers to that problem then you can very much collaboratively work with them on it that's where very, I would very cool very cool I feel like I need to flag how many minutes in we are so that I can point people to this piece as well uh, if, because if they take nothing else, you know, I want the best for our health and safety professionals and the women in safety community are such a powerful group that, you know, they can have big impacts on people and how they're uh, interacting at work. And I think for us all to ask that question around what's doing your head in at work and what we do with that information, uh, and I think that's a step that we need to take pretty seriously about if we're going to ask the question be prepared to take action with what those responses are 100 percent, letting people know that you're going to go and investigate it because a part of your back to that circle of risk management mm. it's dynamic guys it's dynamic you've told me the problem i'm going to go and figure out some solutions i'm going to come back to you we're going to collaborate on it because that's what i am as a safety person i'm a facilitator um, and we're going to figure out a solution and um, when you're having those conversations to keep it that psychosocial health and safety really challenge yourself to stay in that prevention place, which is why I say the question of what is difficult about this job, what's doing your head in, what, what is harder than it should be, mm. that is really tapping into the prevention mm. and not feeling too dragged down to the area, which is absolutely important, but there's enough and there's a lot in that, not enough necessary, but there's a lot already in the intervention side of things. We're, yep. not, going, we're not necessarily going in saying, how do you feel about life? Mm. and if you're not feeling good about life here's some solutions mm. absolutely there's a place for it yep if you want to get it even better for the long run ask those questions for sure but then say tell me about the job you already know you've already got the rapport you've got the relationships you know that task going and asking that question now with that lens I think yep. is such a great starting point because we all know in health and safety a lot of it comes from that rapport and reputation with the people we support 100%. Because if you don't know what they want and you've got your own agenda, you'll never, you'll butt heads and you'll never get there. Ah, uh, yeah. And yeah. Working with the regulators, some of the most satisfying work I did was when I'm kind of understanding what all the engineers, their goal is and saying, oh, how does this, how does my work overlay with your work? And then we did some really cool projects on 
um, engineering projects with a psycho- psychological overlay. Yeah. And everything better. So if you go from what you know, and don't forget that with psychosocial safety, don't kind of sell yourself short thinking that you need to go and have a massive psychology degree, because if psychosocial safety does really well, and if we keep doing better at it, what's what we're going to see is that different different groups within an organization, different individuals are going to work together. Mm. And there's going to be a lot more collaboration. Oh. Most, you know? <laughs> Music to my ears, Amy. Yeah. Yeah. So, look, I think you and I could talk for the entire day. But before we wrap up, what's the next six months look like for you in the world of Amy Douglas? So, in my world, I will be continuing <laughs> to integrate or help people, yeah, help people integrate psychosocial risk management into their safety management systems. And I think, yeah, that's the key word, integration. I never, mm. want, it, I never want it to be just a massive... It's not a bolt-on. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Integrating the safety management systems and... As I go along doing that, it's when whatever information I've gotten available to people is to try and make it accessible and interesting to listen to and relevant yeah. um, in the conversations that I have. So, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell, more psychosocial integration. Exciting times. Well, I will leave your LinkedIn so people can connect with you on LinkedIn in the show notes because I think uh, you're certainly someone to keep an eye out for and the information you can share and the knowledge you're prepared to impart has just been fantastic and, you know, I certainly personally love your approach and, and what you're bringing to this space. So thank you for your time today, Amy, and we will catch up with you soon. Thanks so much for having me. Wow, what an episode. If you loved today's episode just as much as I did, we'd love to hear your feedback or even better, share it with your friends, your colleagues and other safety sisters or safety misters so they too feel empowered and inspired. We will catch you for another conversation next time and we hope in the meantime you start implementing some things to transform your career.